Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. I'm Michelle Haygood, and this is On Air, a podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalem people, and today known as Port Towns in Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect. We dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times, affecting change, and finding sustenance during health, climate, and social crisis. Join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity, time, and place. Thank you for being here and enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be bringing you another conversation with one of our emerging artist residents who was here in October of 2020. And today I get a chance to sit down and speak with Don Stetzel, who is an artist living in the U.S. on the Long Beach Peninsula on the southern coast of Washington and living in a place of tides and tsunamis where land is not always land, sometimes it's water has informed her work regarding home and perceptions of safety. She has an MFA from the College of Visual and Performing Arts at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth and recently exhibited her performative sculpture at the Portland Biennial in Oregon. Talking with Dawn was a special pleasure because I had previously had the chance to spend a little bit of time in her studio here at Centrum and got to witness sort of the progression of how she investigates a site and starts to respond to it and source materials from it in a very thoughtful and carefully challenging way. Um, And I really appreciated uh, learning about how John thinks about the, the challenges and fears and anxieties that we may all be living with, but perhaps do not as often engage with them as head on as we could. And if you haven't already become familiar with Dawn's work, I encourage you to go to her website at dawnstetzel.com, which we will also link in our show notes and explore some of the rich documentation. And if you have a chance to see her work in person one day, I encourage you to do so. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So I'm really happy to be here with you today, Dawn. Welcome. Thank you. Um, You have been, it's really exciting to actually be able to record episodes with artists while they're here on campus. This is a rare treat. And we are now 10 days until the end of your time here at Centrum. And 
We've been having a lot of fun actually uh, talking with all of the artists in different ways and forms. And you've now had a chance to get to know some of the folks who are here. But today, we're really excited to just kind of hone in on what it is you've been doing and what has sort of, I'm interested in what's brought you to, to this moment. So before we go any further, I would love it if you could just give us a little bit of a description of kind of what your head space is like right now, and maybe a little bit about how that relates to what came right before. <laughs> oh, sure. I can do that. Yeah, um, a little, just a snippet of your background and... Okay. Yeah. Well, I think the overarching focus that I came here with is one dealing with disparity and systematic disparity that is uh, so dysfunctional. And so I've been carrying that around with me and brought that with me here. And then when I arrived here, I started voraciously exploring the area um, just to connect to place because that's something else I think about how to honor place and how to ground myself in place. And I do that initially mostly by biking everywhere and walking and exploring and getting a sense of um, the communities that are here and industry that's here. So two specific areas that I was interested in um, is the paper mill here in Port Townsend and the boatyard and the harbor. And so I just voraciously explored and I just love it here. And I've just been so inspired and uh, welcomed and eager to make work and talk to the other artists and everything has just been going so well. And usually by exploring a place, I find materials. I find materials that are specific to that place, and usually they're materials that are discarded, like uh, washed up on the harbor or in a free pile on the side of the road in the community or something. And so um, I usually wind up dragging that stuff back to the studio. So that's what you'll find in my <laughs> studio right now. You'll find three pieces in process. Mm -hmm. They are sculptural works that have a performative ele element, and uh, we can talk more about what that actually is uh, mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still kind of learning that part, like how to talk about it and what it actually means. Um, and so, I mean, I guess we could talk a little bit about what what someone would see in the studio right now if you want. I think that'd be wonderful. Okay. We'll share some images of whatever you want us to share on our website. And then in addition to that, I think it'd be great to just have um, a sort of verbal description. Okay, sure. Yeah. So one piece, the, the like I said, there are three pieces in process. And um, the first piece I started by harvesting fabric from mattresses that I found on the side of the road or in the woods, um, kind of skinning them for lack of a better word. So harvesting that uh, fabric and then bringing it into the studio and sewing a, a poncho out of them. And the poncho is a big overstuffed, very over, overstuffed, oversized um, poncho with a hood and sleeves, kind of that quilted um, mattress fabric and then that poncho is I wear and then return to the site and occupy those spaces and the, there's photo documentation of that experience the second piece is I think um, 
language I'm using to talk about that piece is uneasy chair project, similar to the mattress poncho in that the fabric that I have used to sew that piece with is fabric that I found from discarded chairs, like overstuffed lazy boy chair kind of chairs and couches in similar areas. They're all areas of places of in, mar- in the margins, kind of places that folks don't usually look. I tend to look there. I tend to navigate those strange in-between places um, of properties that maybe just no one really looks at or super fun sites or whatever they are that that makes them a margin. Um, anyway, this other poncho will be similar, um, similar in process in that its, its function will be to then return to the place in which materials were gathered and occupying those pieces of furniture, actually, and then documenting that. Uh, and then the third piece I made because I wanted to make my own cardboard. I wanted to make my own cardboard to sleep on. And I felt like it was really specific to here because of the paper mill and the industry here. Um, they make the, all the components for cardboard here. And so I really enjoyed digging into like, what paper mills do and how they function in this specific city. And then just making my own cardboard, which sounds like strange, but I just had to do it and research. Like, well, how do you do it? What is it? You know, what would it be like? And so I'm using that cardboard as a sleeping surface um, on this old metal cart, or excuse me, not a cart, but a cot, kind of a bed-like cot with um, stretched metal wires and springs. And so that would, that'll, that'll be my sleeping surface. And the cot has wheels. And then I also have a component of a, a sheet that I made with blueprints like black and white drawing blueprints of like the plans for the fort like this coastal security defense system plans for like actually building the buildings that were built here at the fort warden um, for security for safety Um, that's which is another aspect I'm thinking about which is safety of safety perception of safety and what do we as individuals do to provide safety for ourselves, notions of safety for ourselves. And then here at the fort, I've also been thinking about kind of systems of safety, systematic safety. I'm still like struggle, like still working on language to talk about that. But this piece will also have, it has wheels and it also has a pole with wheels. And then on the top of the pole is uh, our lights that are motion sensing lights. So that piece is kind of still coming together. There might be some video components, but it will also go out outside on site and I'll navigate with it and explore what it's like to um, move around with that piece in, in this space of this area. Wow. Those are the three pieces. Someone would see if they popped in, which I wish they could. Right, right, I know. (laughs) But but, but we're doing this, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm sure that they will find their ways into the world. Um, I guess what I'm interested in when I see these projects is what a rich life they have outside of the gallery, I guess. Oh, yes. And all that gets implied, I, I think they hold... To me, it seems like they hold that experience in them when they come into the gallery space, you know. Um, And do you usually show documentation 
alongside of them also? Oh, that's a great question. In the gallery, um, the objects hopefully stand by themselves, but the 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 piece isn't the piece without that documentation. So it's like half and half. And so, yes, definitely in the gallery is some kind of documentation. Lately, they've been mostly photographs, so still photographs um, on the wall or some somehow uh, shown in the gallery, and then the pieces there also. So folks can both get up close and see, like, the stitching on the mattress and, like, the weird stains that are there and whatever, you know, moments of repair that I've made um, on them. And they can see kind of how I touch materials, which is really important for me as a maker is to touch materials and um, make those kind of choices of resourcefulness and repair and whatever it is that I love about touching materials, whether they're, um, well, they're usually stuff I find. So I kind of have to navigate what that's like, making making work with things I find and making them work. Um, and then also on the wall is the documentation. So they see that, hopefully. And I, I so appreciate hearing you say that, that, that it reads, it translates that experience, because that's something I really want. I want it to be genuine and real and heartfelt and emotive, um, because that's where I reach like the true emotion behind why I'm making the work. And I can't get there without doing that part right now. I don't want to necessarily do these weird things in public that are performative. I mean, they're not performance because there's not an audience, but it's something I have to do and I force myself to do it. Um, and I'm always glad I did, but it's, um, it's not always comfortable. It, well, it's not comfortable. It's actually never comfortable, which I think is um, part of the work. Right. Like part of the part of it. Yeah. I, I think that aspect is so interesting. And I, um, I know we're going to circle to that and dig into it. And I think before we go there, maybe it would also be helpful to kind of hear where that practice started coming into the work. And because what I, I, as I was becoming familiar with your work, I was looking at the relationships between some of your thesis work at um, University of Massachusetts, and how like your like the objects you make today, they stand on their own as really intriguing sculptural works. However, the objects you made before seemed to be more, um, and maybe, and you can correct me <laughs> on this. Um, they seem to be more about representing relationships between environments and humans and 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 almost like poetic um representations of those and then and then your work has really seemed to shift more towards um a very direct collaboration with with these edges and sort of overlaps between um as i read it humans and the and the more than human and and the debris of humans and yeah, <laughs> more yeah. than human spaces. Right. So can you just talk a little bit about some of your progression? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I so appreciate that question too because those are those aren't thoughts I really had before, but I've been enjoying thinking about those thoughts. And my thesis work, I was um, I was making the environments, so I was constructing installations that were the environments in which a fragile life barely was sustained. Now, 
I am making a contraption or a mode of locomotion that is made in the studio and then goes out into those environments. So those are all environments, actually real environments that are somehow feel vast and isolating and have some kind of feeling of whatever that feeling is or something I've viscerally drawn to those landscapes. And that, and then the, the sculptures, those, those, those contraptions, I'm actually using to navigate through those landscapes. So I see it as connected, but instead of actually constructing the environment, I'm going out into it in the real, in the real surroundings and seeing what it's like to navigate through those spaces as a human. And then I'm actually using a sculpture like I'm pulling it or I'm, you know, trying to float with it or I'm dragging or dragging it or mm -hmm. using the wind to push through it or something. So there's all those um, ways that I'm in the landscape. Mm -hmm. So I see that's how I see it as connected right now. Mm -hmm. Although I'll chew on that question a little bit more mm -hmm. and I uh, would love to talk about it again. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my read of it speaks to my own gradual relearning of like what it means to be a, a relearning of like being entangled with, you know, um, everything around us and not seeing a separation. <laughs> and I guess just really appreciating you know, even though maybe you weren't coming from specifically that line of thought, seeing how you are being very direct and intentional in the way you're um, thinking about your presence in a place. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess so related to that, I'm, I'm super interested to just hear you talk more about the process of getting to know a site and you know, um, one of the questions I had shared prior to today was just this question of like, is there sort of a pattern to your approach? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you come up with routines yeah. for how you mm -hmm. go about this? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know my process. Definitely. For sure. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, I hit the ground in in a place by voraciously exploring, mm -hmm. um, like I said earlier. Mm -hmm. So that's that's how I connect to place. And I kind of trust those little inklings of like, maybe I'll go down the alley instead of the main street. Mm -hmm. Or, ooh, that's like a little trail through the woods that maybe was made by an animal, but maybe someone's doing a cut through to get to the community across the way so i trust those little inklings of mm -hmm. of uh where to go and so um that usually leads me to a lot of information mm -hmm. and materials also mm -hmm. and by doing that i also i mean i'm carrying around with me my feels like what i mm -hmm. what it feels like to be human right now today and what i care about how i grew up my family dynamics mm -hmm. what it means to be me right now here and so those are all filters that kind of trickle down and somehow land on something mm -hmm. um and then i come to the studio and i look at all those materials and um start working mm -hmm. 
And so, and you asked it earlier if I do any writing, mm-hmm. and I don't. I don't usually write. Oh, I don't write mm-hmm. um, until maybe a three quarters of the way through a piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll like I'll be on the floor building a piece, and something will come to me. Usually, like a phrase or a word, mm-hmm. and I just jot it down, like really messy in my sketchbook. And then the writing comes at the end mm-hmm. because there's something that I learn by building the piece. It usually comes it through my periphery while I, my hands are touching materials um, and kind of I'm just listening to myself. Mm-hmm. And then the real moments of clarity come at the end. And so that's when I write and I struggle to find words for what the piece is, what the piece is to me. And hopefully at that point I will have somehow thought about how I hope that there's some universality in it mm-hmm. of some sense. Maybe I've talked to other people who see it as well, or maybe I kind of get a sense mm-hmm. of that and I can write about that also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's an inspiring um, process. I mean, just, I think hearing, you know, how you and like, I know many artists approach their work with this sort of intuitive, you know, mode, as well as a sort of trust (laughs) in that, you know, it's going to lead to somewhere that will be interesting, (laughs) you know, and I mean, I think your work really models. um, I, I mean, I guess I, there's so many things I'm interested in along those lines, I guess, one of the things I was reflecting on in our email exchange was about, you know, sort of the way you spend what I perceive as this like deep or just intense kind of time with the materials, like hearing a little bit about the skills you need to sort of go through when you're sort of following where a material is leading you or where a curiosity is leading you. Can you talk a little bit about the way like, is that a mode you've always been comfortable with in terms of just kind of like learning what you need to learn <laughs> to, yes. to go into? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I think I know where what, what question you're asking. I, I really find moments of like problems in engineering to be really fascinating to mm-hmm. me. And those usually stem from like if I want wood for my project uh, I don't go to the lumber yard and buy it I usually find it and mm-hmm. I like that because it connects place like I'm like if I use that piece of wood I'm like oh I remember the yard that I found it in and maybe I had an interaction with the person who was giving it away or maybe mm-hmm. I had a talk with the boat yard I don't know there's something that kind of mm-hmm. comes with that material mm-hmm. but the boards aren't always the right size or shape or mm-hmm. they're not long enough so the engineering problem that happens because of that I find super rewarding and fascinating because I have to think okay well you know this is a a problem I'm giving myself and it's a chance for me to respond to it and can I be can I make resourceful decisions like maybe I have to patch these two boards together with another little tiny board mm-hmm. to get them long enough? Mm-hmm. Um, I find those little moments um, very much so evident in my work. If you see my work, it's I uh, use a low tech approach, and um, you'll see those kind of patch patches or shimmings or mm-hmm. um, 
I mean, just the aesthetics are uh, of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm using fabric, like today in the studio, I was cutting, I needed a big piece of fabric and I was cutting it. I'm like, well, there's a hole there and there's a hole there. So to some extent, the, the aesthetic of the piece is dictated by those um, moments of repair that I make because I need need to. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I didn't buy the fabric, so I'm um, presenting myself with this kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a scenario that a lot of people in, throughout history have negotiated. And I just find those things really, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I don't like the word beautiful, but it, it's just, uh, just, it's just something uh, really, something I really embrace and I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it shows. I, I think, you know, when you were talking earlier, we were talking about the sort of presentation of these objects. I was thinking about how um, how evident the sort of care and resourcefulness is, you know, when you look at these. And also, as we've talked a little bit about, too, the ridiculousness, right, yeah. that comes in. Yeah. And, um and I'll try to ask this simply. And so maybe I can just say, like, <laughs> go ahead, just say it. <laughs> no, but yeah, like, can you just talk about that? Oh, gosh. Oftentimes, my pieces are these weird contraptions that they do have a sense of ridiculousness. And I think, uh, in essence, the ridiculous part comes from the fact that I'm talking about systems that are slightly dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But we have to, we live here on this place at this time, and we, we have to navigate them uh, in through their dysfunctionality. I'm talking about system systematic dif- dysfunction. I'm talking about a lot of kinds of dysfunction. Um, and so we could talk about specifics of that. But for, in, for now, it's the, that's generally why my pieces are a tad bit ill-fitting to the task. Slight, dis- slightly dysfunctional, slightly awkward. A little bit ridiculous, like will that kayak catapult actually fling that message over the wall? It might make it. There might have to be multiple attempts to get that, you know, um, thing flung across the river or whatever um, uh, scenario I've set up for myself. Um, So I guess that also sets up opportunities for me as a human to sort of train, for lack of a better word, um, in patience. So like with my wind-assisted chair, I was thinking, what if I had to use the wind to move around? And then what that sets up? You know, I can, yeah, I can use this huge umbrella that's attached to this strange chair on wheels to get somewhere that I need to go, but what if the wind is blowing in the other direction? Or what if there's no wind? Or what if the wind is so strong that um, I'm in peril slightly? I mean, that's definitely one of my more ridiculous looking pieces. Um, But I'm poking at all those things uh, about like risk taking and patience and resilience and vulnerability and being like struggling and um, being willing to, to, to look ridiculous in an effort to somehow maintain momentum and fortitude through um, 
environmental doom or through whatever it is that I'm trying to keep going. And so I think that's why a lot of my pieces are like, it's a practice run or a test float or um, like with my kayak catapult, I mentioned multiple kind of attempts at fleeing this thing or dragging this thing. So I guess I'm talking about resilience, not just physicality, but emotionally and... Uh, whatever other invisible uh, skills that we feel like we, okay, I'll just say I, that I need to keep going. Because sometimes it's like uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- the way you just described that makes so much sense with why, as I wrote to you earlier, I'm... I was thinking about this empowering sense that I get from your work. I think seeing oh, seeing these modes, even when they are ridiculous, or maybe even because they are ridiculous sometimes, or or seem almost futile, you know, like um, it's still empowering to confront this idea of training and preparing and like because it implies it implies a sort of hope. It Im- it implies a sort of like ability to overcome I feel like the work sort of points out that like we are surrounded by materials and resources that like we simply need to remember how to access in a way or respect in a way too um so I appreciate that in your work a lot I, I I do feel like that there's there is a real universality I'm sure that many including myself, <laughs> right? Oh, you know, yeah. like are, are going to take away from that, um, particularly in times where um, crisis is just everywhere, everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. How to yeah. how to keep how to maintain momentum and persistence yeah. and because we have to. Yeah. Things are not it's not OK. Right. And you've uh, been tuned into this for a while, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, I feel like well, one thing I also just wanted to ask was how how has this year shifted things for you? You know, what kind of impact has the pandemic and um, our other social, you know, yeah. shifts? Um, have right. you have you seen it play out in your work? In oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I look back at some of my some of my older my older works, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. Like the fire <laughs> flood jacket that yeah, I made. Right, and like right. The, everything's, the whole world is on fire and right. I have friends evacuating from the fires and mm-hmm. there's flooding and I'm like, uh-huh. Oh yeah, thank yeah. you for bringing that up. You right? should just tell us a little bit oh, about my that gosh. piece. Yeah, so I'm like, uh, oh, the fire and fire or flood jacket. Yeah, yeah, do you mind just describing sure, that? Sure, yeah. It is a, a life jacket that um, is equipped with kind of a pouch on the back um, where there's a rolled up fire escape ladder. Mm-hmm. So it's something a person can wear. It's something I, I can wear mm-hmm. just in case mm-hmm. um, I, the world floods or the world's on fire or maybe both at the same time, which is <laughs> what is happening consistently because of climate change. So I think, yeah, I look back at those works and um, I mean, I just, I'm reiterated that 
Uh, my pathway is one that is true, and I need to remember that it's okay to stay on it to try to engineer a lifestyle that is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. okay with, well, maybe I'm, maybe that's strong language. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I think um, there are acceptable and unacceptable ways in general of w- ways of living in a place. And I think I'm choosing to not necessarily engage in 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 ways that are supposedly – deemed as acceptable mm-hmm. ways of being be, like living somewhere mm-hmm. so i'm pushing against that um and sort of trying to engineer a lifestyle that that makes sense and is a i oftentimes see my work as um um ambitious experiments at reimagining a more sustainable existence um i see it kind of as just trying to engineer this lifestyle so i just think that um, yes, that is that now is the time to keep doing that and try to find uh, another way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's an overreaching, but it trickles down into a lot of a lot of things that are happening now. And yeah, I mean, why not be ambitious? You know, uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's a time for uh, yeah. I, I feel like particularly as we see systems that are potentially beyond fixing, it's time to think bigger about what yeah it's it's reframing and remaking things yeah and it's it's not it's not easy yeah i mean i think that's yeah yeah it's not easy and but it's worth it Mm -hmm. and i think that's why i keep trying in my work it's like okay yeah it's not easy but keep going it's this is what this is this is better it's better for me it's better for everyone else yeah if there's new if we forge new ways Mm -hmm. um systems come down and crumble and new ones spring up so by kind of standing on that shifting ground there's it's kind of unsecure or unsure uncertain but because of that it allows for new things to come up and new structures to be in place and i just have to trust that 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 will happen Mm -hmm. yeah that's good. Um, this is not a question I, you know, sent you in advance, so it's totally fine if you f- if you feel like it puts you on the spot. But I'm just just curious, what if there are particular models of thinking or people who have been helpful to you in terms of thinking about these ambitious ideas and shifts in lifestyles? Um, oh, that's a good question. Artists or or other. Well, you know. Um I think, I guess immediately what comes to mind, a long time ago I was looking at um, intentional communities and like, what is that about? Like, how does that work? And this was a long time ago and I wasn't really seeing any examples here. Really, it wasn't really mainstream kind of conversations so here in uh, the northwest oh sorry in the united states okay okay so i i wound up going to australia actually and there is such a mainstream conversation about different ways of living in a place Mm -hmm. not necessarily purchasing this huge house Mm -hmm. where one person lives but instead 
having intentional communities and a variety of structures Mm -hmm. in which folks can exist together, usually using lower resources and leaning on each other for support in a way that I found in Australia to be really amazing Um, and accepting of kind of outside travelers and uh, various ways of kind of thinking and being in place. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, it works. Mm -hmm. And not only does it work, it's not like a strange thing. Mm -hmm. Like it can happen. So there's, I just think there's a lot of ways to exist in a place. Did it feel like it successfully got out of a colonial kind of mindset or it sounds like you're talking about like, you know, really moving away from thinking about owning land, right? Yes. And which I think is what we're pretty stuck in. Yes. There's, (laughs) yes, huge conversations about that. Definitely for sure. Yeah, I can't think of anything else specifically. Yeah, that's okay. That might that's not even fair. answer your question. Um, no, it did, it did. But that just kind of came up. Uh, yeah. It was like, okay, I guess what that does is it says, it gave me permission to reject systems here mm-hmm. more easily. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, other people do it different right. ways. There's no right. one way to do this. I don't have to do this one way. I don't have to do this one thing. I can not do that because yeah. there are other ways. And there's you just look to other other folks um, throughout history in different places of the world, whatever. Um, I don't have the answer, but I just know that I can say, no, I don't want that. For now, I'm going to say, no, yeah. I don't want that because yeah. there's got to be a different way. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it's, you know, um, I feel like I'm on a journey of learning about indigenous ways and communities of color and what they've, you know, been doing and, what they see as potential for new systems and new lifestyles. So I, I think all the models we can have yeah. that start to shift us away yeah. from what's disadvantaging yes. and oppressing others, yes. right? Is, and, and hurting our hurting our planet. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's really empowering. And thank yeah. you for sharing that. Well, I felt like maybe it'd be nice to just hear a little bit more about this... Um, this idea of the edges, you, you talked about mm-hmm. it in the very beginning, yeah. about the project you're working on right now with the chairs mm-hmm. and kind of coming back to mm-hmm. those spaces. I don't know if that relates to what we were just talking about at all, but um, either kinda, way. It kind of does. Either I way. it kind of does. Yeah. yeah. Could you just say a little more? Yeah, sure. That? Well, I think um, there's something really dynamic about edges. Um, we as humans are edge species. And there's something about that I've been looking at edges for a really long time. And so, for example, it's like where land and water meet. You know, there's a place of an edge. Um and I find that those two things can kind of rub together and create something new. Uh, I find that oftentimes with um, humans and nature, like what is a human space and what's a natural space and where those two things come together, there's a, usually a kind of a messy r- residue, uh, for lack of a better word. And I like to look at those because there are choices that folks that are made when it's like, okay, well, I'm... This is my this is my area. I care for this area, but I have this trash that I want to no longer be a part of my world. So I'll take two steps into the woods where it's no longer my like my area and then chuck it there. So I don't 
know if I don't know what that what that's about. I'm like, what? Why? Why do? What is that? Where is that? Like, oh, this is no longer something that's connected to me. And I, so I think I look at that and I feel that, and I spend time in those places, and I get, um, I get emotional content from those places, both. Um, feelings of hope seeing kind of nature navigate that and also moments of like despair and like I I like that observation about you know this sort of littering decision (laughs) that happens as a result of thinking of like a space you're responsible for versus one you're not Yeah, Um, that's I hadn't ever looked, you know, thought about it in that way. And that's only part of it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations about why stuff is where it is. Of course. Um, And I try to like be aware of all those spots. I mean, there's, you know, oftentimes like the economic status of of a person um, has a a huge factor or are they were Mm -hmm. they displaced? Right. and I think all that's all that's in there, and it's all wrapped up and tangled and messy and weird. But boy, does it happen in the margins! And I, th- I find it fascinating. Um, so I usually look behind, like behind places, like in alleys, behind places. Um, there's also kind of a, a no, like a no man's land. I don't really like that language the greatest, but it's language that I came across when I was in Texas and um, looking at where they're building the wall. Mm. And so there's this strange uh, area of land that's in between the wall and Mexico and the United States. And it's like, they call it no man's land. That's the language that's kicking around there. It's like a, um, an unusable space. So those kind of spaces are like uh, charged. Yeah, um, it's a margin. It's yeah. definitely a margin, and it's it's loaded and weighted with a lot of stuff. And so, what it what is that space like, and um, why is it there, and how does it feel to be in that space? And boy, do I carry those things around with me. Um, all those spaces, ha- all those places are margins, and so that's what I talk about when I talk. That's what I mean when I talk about margins, and I just kind of sniff those out, and I go there. Yeah. <laughs> And spend time in time with him. Yeah, amazing. Well, I'm so excited to continue to continue following your work and learning from the places that you, you know, kind of investigate and mine from in these really rich ways. Um, I think the final thing I just wanted to hear from you about was, of course, as the residency manager, like I'm always interested in just sharing with people the um, the variety of kinds of experiences that can happen in residencies and the roles that they can have in people's lives. And with your with you in particular, you've done a number of them. Mm-hmm. And it from what I can see, they've they've varied in in design. And so it doesn't have to be about this residency necessarily, but maybe just more generally even, what has what has the role of of residencies been? Yes. Oh, what a great question. And um, I think sometimes things happen that are unexpected, for sure. But the kind of the I mean, the most wonderful thing is to be in a place where of support in which you're around folks, other folks doing the same thing. And there's that really critical dialogue that happens. 
and a time to focus on um, doing the work and doing the work in a way that is genuine and meaningful and uh, somehow hopefully will help move us forward on our, you know, on our planet. And I think that the role of art in general hopefully will help push us forward. And this place has just been amazing. And I am so, so honored to be here and to be supported and be with all uh, the, uh, these other artists, which it's a great diverse group. And boy, um, I'm going to miss miss them. But I think that oftentimes residencies will forge these connections that will follow me through. And they're my fa- like my family, for lack of a better word, um, my art family which is strong, and I will mm. keep that going, hopefully. Yeah. Cool. That's wonderful to hear. And, you know, I think I think the other value of these is, is that I think particularly for someone like you, and there's many other artists here right now who, um, who are very collaborative in their processes, but I think the, the bonus for communities where residencies take place is that other folks um, who may not otherwise would have encountered the way artists are working and that diversity get to get to experience it even during the pandemic it's happening on small scales here you know in um in the ways that we're working with our partners here at the fort and there's many of you kind of working with um, history and the archives Mm -hmm. and it's really, it's really good for our town to have people come in and ask important questions, point to things that haven't been looked at, and mm-hmm. you know, reflect, reflect things back. So thank you, thank you. For that. Uh, we will we'll be linking to your work and following you for a while. <laughs> um, and I'm just so lucky that we've got you here. So thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, Program Manager for Artist Residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's Executive Director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our Executive Producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives, and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020, Centrum Foundation.